Uh, before we, Kylie and I begin this morning, I just want to publicly thank, uh, I know we both want to publicly thank uh, the board, Annie, Gordon, Erica, and last but, well, maybe perhaps least of all, Gabe. <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, throughout this season, for us, this uh, process of discernment, Kylie and I have been greatly blessed by the board's uh, professionalism, wisdom, and desire to see God's will for this church, and that has truly been a blessing for us. And so, uh, thank you. We know that your task has not been easy, and um, you guys should be very proud of these individuals and their faithfulness to you and to the Lord. So, thank you, guys. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, or perhaps you have your phone Bible app, um, we're going to start today in the book of Acts chapter 4, and as you're turning there or uh, getting there this morning, um, I'm just going to share a little bit of background for us, uh, and then we'll kind of jump right in and just share a little bit of what's on our heart uh, this morning, and we'll be in Acts chapter 4 right at the very beginning. Uh, But in case you don't know, the book of Acts is actually not a standalone book. It's actually a second part of a two-part volume with Luke. So the Gospel of Luke is like part one, and Acts is part two. And while Luke tells us about the life and the ministry of Jesus, the story of Acts um, tells of Christ's ongoing ministry through his people, the church, as they are empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. And so um, just kind of keep that in mind as we kind of dig into chapter four today. We're going to read... Um, A little bit longer passage than I would say I would normally speak from or Kylie might speak from, but uh, we're going to read 13 verses this morning. Uh, And if you'll just join me, I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Uh, The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Uh, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them into jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others on the high priest's family, or of the high priest's family, excuse me. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Um, As our passage begins, Peter and John are in trouble. They find themselves in a tough situation. They've been arrested and are being essentially put on trial by the same group of religious leaders that had tried Jesus just a little bit earlier. And uh, chapter 3 tells us of Acts, it tells us why Peter and John are on trial, essentially, and why they're 
they're uh, in trouble. They had been on their way to the temple to pray uh, at the customary time of prayer, and on their way, they were stopped by a beggar. Uh, and this beggar cried out to them for help, for money. He's like, hey, I'm here, I'm lame, I've got no way to provide for myself, help me out. And Peter responds to this man in really what would be quite an unusual way. He doesn't reach into his pocket for a few coins or whatnot, as you might do if you see somebody that is asking for help. But Peter declares to this lame man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And instantly, the scriptures tell us that this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumps up to his feet and he begins to walk. Now, as you can imagine, this type of miraculous act began to draw a little bit of attention to what was going on. And very quickly, a crowd of people gathers around. And as they gather around to see for themselves what is exactly taking place, Peter begins to take advantage of the opportunity, and he begins to boldly proclaim about Jesus Christ. And he told this gathered crowd that his authority and his ability to heal this man did not derive from his own abilities or even his own godliness. And you got to remember that these are Jewish people. So within their history, within their culture, within their faith, it's very common to have prophetic people or just workers of miracles that God would use in miraculous ways to, to perform great works. And, and Peter acknowledges, though this doesn't come from even his own what we might call piety or his religiousness and faithfulness, but it comes, how or why? Directly from Jesus. That this same Jesus that they had handed over and to be put to death just a few weeks earlier was the one that had empowered them to heal this lame person. Now, <laughs> they get in trouble for this. They get in trouble for this. It actually tells us early in the passage that it's partly the miracle, but they're really upset that they're teaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Because the foundation... Um, of these religious leaders is that they're not very fond of the idea of the resurrection. They're what, what the scriptures call our Sadducees. So they believed in God and they taught his word and they were actually the priestly rulers of the people of Israel, but they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. And when they interacted with Jesus, that was one of their biggest issues with, with his teaching is that he taught about the resurrection to new life. And so not only did Jesus teach about this, but then as he's arrested and put on trial and he dies, we know the story, right? On the third day, he, he raises to new life by God's power. He ministers for a few more days. He empowers his church, and he takes off. And his followers, the, the 12, but also the other, like in the, on that day of Pentecost, there were 120 faithful people that were part of this beginning church. And these 120 people were the faithful ones that continued to teach and preach the same message that Jesus himself taught, the power of the resurrection. And now they could point to Jesus, the one who was the first to be raised to new life. So as you can imagine, this caused a lot of trouble with these religious leaders. And so they put Peter and John on trial. Um, and there are two of our passage, or verse two of our passage tells us that that real issue was there. But um, what I wanted to point out this morning first is that during Jesus's earthly ministry, which kind of parallels what's taking place right now in Peter and John's ministry, is this reality is that Jesus performed miracles. And we see, I came up with at least four. I know there's more reasons why Jesus performed miraculous works, but there are four reasons that I want us to look at real quickly. And the first one is that Jesus performed miraculous works um, first to reveal basically his compassion for people that were suffering. 
Oftentimes, as Jesus ministered and he saw people or crowds, the scriptures tell us that he was moved with compassion for the crowds or for the people, and then it led to him performing a miracle to bring a healing, a deliverance, something in their lives. Jesus also then would perform miracles as a sign of his authority over nature, right? So we see this. Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. A storm rages. He's down below sleeping. He gets up. Peace be still. He calms the waters. And he, Jesus is declaring his authority over nature. A third reason that he might perform miracles would be to affirm his identity as the Son of God. And we see this most specifically when Jesus encounters people that either caught in sin or that are very well-known sinners, and the first thing that he extends to them is forgiveness. And again, this to us like makes sense, but in the Jewish mindset, these are people that recognize and only understand that God alone forgives sins, not any great leader. Moses didn't forgive sins. Abraham didn't forgive sins. Only God could forgive sins. So here is this guy, this Jesus, that's, and he's authenticating his ability to forgive sins by performing some of these other miracles as well. But he's showing people that I have the ability to forgive sins. And so the fourth reason, and that's kind of parallels here in our story with Peter and John this morning on why Christ performs miracles is he is authenticating and validating the message of the kingdom of God. That the gospel that he preaches is really from God. And these miracles authenticate that. And that is exactly what takes place with Peter and John here. Acts 2.22 tells us that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. What God was telling people about Jesus is, you had better pay attention to this Jesus guy and what he's saying and doing. These miracles are proof of my stamp of approval upon his life and his ministry. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing now as he is authenticating the life and the ministry of Peter and John. In the same way that you should look to Jesus and what he is saying and what he is doing, he's drawing attention now to these two ordinary guys that you better pay attention to what they're saying and doing because they're carrying the message of the kingdom of God. So my question for us today that I think really causes us to begin to look inward on us as people of God, because we are the direct descendants of Peter and John, right? They were disciples of Jesus, the master rabbi, and they made disciples who made disciples. And somewhere along that trail, you encountered the message of Jesus. You are a disciple of somebody that was discipled, discipled all the way back up to these guys. So we, right, we are the church, not this place, right? We meet in a school. This is just a building, right? But the people of God are the church. Why today don't we see this type of boldness in the face of opposition? And why don't we see this type of authentication in the church today? And I think if we look to verse 13 of our passage, it gives us the key. You know, we, we think it's a good week when we don't get mad at our coworkers or we don't kill one of our kids, right? We think that's being a holy, great God, spirit, and filled person. And, and those are great things. You know, don't kill your kids this week. It's kind of, if you take anything away today, don't kill your kids. All right. But why don't we see this type of boldness that Peter and John displayed when confronted with what they've done? Or why don't we see the, the kind of authentication of miraculous signs and wonders in our Like, So signs and wonders shouldn't be what we pursue and what we chase, but like they should authenticate that we're carrying that same message of the kingdom of God today into this world. So why don't we see it? And verse 13 of our passage gives us the key, I think, to the key to living a spirit-empowered and approved life. And I know 
I struggle with this because that's what I want. Like, I want my life not, I don't want people to look at me or what I'm about or my abilities because, uh, you know, they're limited. And each one of us in our giftedness and our strengths, we all have limits. But I want my life to be approved by the Spirit of God. I want my life to be a testimony to the kingdom of God. And so verse 13 tells us that when they, these religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were average people. They had no special education. They weren't trained by anybody that these rabbis or, or priests respected. It says that they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was obvious to them who they had spent time with. They were doing what Jesus had done. They were speaking in the same manner in which Jesus was, had spoken. It was obvious to everyone, including their own adversaries, that Peter and John had been with Jesus. They had forsaken everything to be with him. Mark chapter 1 tells us that, Jesus, or that when Jesus called Peter and John, that they dropped everything in order to follow him. Being with Jesus became their priority. Nothing else was as important as being with their Lord. Kylie? I want to spend the next few minutes really in this last verse of our passage that Josh just read that says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, what the religious leaders and the people were so surprised by was not the fact that they, that these men hadn't been to Bible college um, that they were just ordinary people. But what struck them so much was that Jesus in his earthly ministry had um, taught and preached and, and led with this rhetoric. He, he taught in parables and he taught with this uh, authority in his voice that, that people took note of, that they understood that there was something about this man that drew attention. There was something about this man that people needed to pay attention to. And this is the same manner in which Peter and John are speaking. So it's not just that, that they're talking in scholarly terms. It's the authority and the words that they used that sounded like Jesus. This was what struck them so much. The scripture about halfway through this passage says, then, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak. And he said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man can get up and walk. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit brings with it um, courage and boldness. And not the kind of boldness that is arrogant or presumptuous or proud. But this kind of boldness reflects a couple of really distinct characteristics of Jesus. And that is his meekness as well as his authority. It's really striking to, to read through the scriptures and note how Jesus has this way of so humbly, but also so powerfully interacting with people. He is meek, um, but the way in which he interacts with people brings with it power and it brings transformation. And his disciples had spent so much time with Jesus that as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost, that they began to be able to speak and act in the same manner that Jesus did. They carried both the meekness and the authority that marked his ministry. In their three plus years with him, they, they walked with him, they watched him pray, they watched him be spirit-led, 
um, and they watched him um, speak and act only as God the Father spoke and acted, only as God the Father led him. Brother Lawrence was a um, monk in the 1600s, and he wrote a book. If you haven't read it, it's incredible. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. But Brother Lawrence once said, it is a great delusion to think that the times of prayer ought to differ from other times. Jesus was in this constant state of communion with the Father. We, he often um, withdrew from the crowds to pray, uh, but it wasn't just in those times that he was in prayer to the Father or in communion with the Father. He was constantly, constantly had this connection with the Father where he was listening, he was responding, um, and he was um, carrying out the things that his Father was leading him to do and to speak. And after these three plus years with Jesus, the disciples learned how to follow the Spirit's leading by being with Jesus. In his time on earth with his disciples, he modeled the principles and the activities of somebody who's in close relationship with God. He taught them how to make disciples. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to walk in step with God as God speaks and as God leads. He taught them how to love one another sacrificial, and he taught them how to extend compassion to people. And in John 15, Jesus tells his followers how to be productive and effective members of God's kingdom when he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. It's really important to note here that Jesus doesn't say, go and bear fruit. And oftentimes, I think that that's what we interpret when we read these words of Jesus, that we sometimes think that, that God is depending on us to do the work of the kingdom, when really it's us who depend on God to do the work as we keep in step with him. We, we place the results of kingdom work on us when that's never what God has asked us to do. That's what's so incredibly countercultural about the gospel and kingdom work, is we only do what we hear Jesus say, and what we see Jesus doing. As he leads, we follow. As he speaks, we speak. As he goes, we go. As he stays, we stay. And as we abide with him, we not only begin to look and act more like Jesus, but we also begin to sound more like him, as Peter and John did when they were speaking to these people. And that is what spirit-empowered speech is, that as we sense the Spirit guiding us to speak or to act. We are acting out of um, a, a place of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives and not out of our own knowledge or our own capabilities or even our own experience. Those things are valuable, and God uses those things absolutely. But when we depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us to speak and to act, People take note, and that's what we see in Acts 4.13, when it says the religious leaders were astonished because Peter and John were unschooled and ordinary, and they knew because of how they sounded and what they said that these men had been with Jesus. One last evidence that Peter and John's message was true is that it was effective, the the message that they brought, that they spoke, was effective. 
Acts 4.4 4 tells us that despite the arrest of Peter and John, many who heard their message believed. Most of the time in our culture, if someone is protesting or someone is street preaching or whatever and they're arrested, we don't really pay too much attention to those people. They're kind of, uh, you know, okay, that's nice. You know, we're moving on with our lives. But this message that they brought caused many people to believe because of what they were saying and, and, and how they were saying it because they sounded, they spoke, they acted with the authority of Jesus. Have you ever felt like you had an opportunity to um, talk about Jesus or share the gospel with someone but you retracted for fear of not communicating effectively? I think probably all of us have. There's, there is this kind of sometimes fear of, you know, um, not saying what we should say in a way that maybe will be received or maybe people thinking that we're foolish or just not being able to communicate the message well. But the thing about proclamation or evangelism is that it's most effective when it's marked by these qualities that we've talked about. Jesus' authority, his meekness, and his power that only comes with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Just because we're believers doesn't mean that those qualities, that meekness and authority and power, those things don't come naturally to us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to effectively declare the gospel of Jesus. As God leads and as we follow in obedience, the Holy Spirit enables us. I have seen in my own life, time after time, that courage and boldness come as I step out in obedience and not a moment before. Um, and it's kind of like walking this tightrope of faith that as God leads, we know that he has to do the work. He has to empower us. He has to provide the resources. He has to provide everything that we need. And if we are willing to step out, it is in that moment that we step off the cliff that courage and boldness come. The art of abiding in Christ, this is the art of abiding in Christ and keeping in step with the Spirit, that we are empowered and equipped for what we need in the moment. And if we're not abiding, if we're not remaining with Jesus, then we're out of sync with what God is doing and what he's saying. It is never in our own capacities that God does his work, but it's in our weakness. It's in our weakness. That is what's so upside down and counterintuitive about the gospel is that God is powerful, most powerful. God displays his power most beautifully in our weakness, when we are most broken, when we are powerless. And it wasn't because of Peter and John's scholarly knowledge that people believed. It wasn't because of what they knew. It was because even though, despite the fact that they were unschooled and ordinary, the Spirit empowered them to speak and to act like Jesus. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come back up and just prepare to, to close here in the next couple of minutes. I read a story recently of Thomas Aquinas, who was an Italian priest uh, and an Italian philosopher that lived many, many years ago. And the story says that he once called upon Pope Innocent II while the Pope was counting a large sum of money. And the Pope said to him, 
you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver or gold have I not, quoting these famous words of Peter when he and John healed the lame beggar. And Thomas replied, true, Holy Father, but neither can she now say, rise and walk. It's not through our own strengths and abilities that we will see the people of Dwell Church in Santa Monica and West LA rise up and begin to declare the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's gonna be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not through our excellence. We value doing things well. You guys do things well, but it's not through our excellence that people are gonna be transformed. It's not through our resources or the most well-spoken preachers or teachers that people are going to come to know this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It will be by the power of the Holy Spirit alone by whom we declare the name of Jesus. Because the scriptures say only by the Spirit of God can someone say Jesus is Lord. And it is by that Holy Spirit that dwells within us that empowers us to live holy lives that also enables us to speak and to declare the name of Jesus to our communities. And as we learn to abide with him and to keep in step with him, we will also begin to experience the boldness and the power that come through the Holy Spirit in ways that we read about in Acts. Peter and John healed the lame beggar not with any power or authority of their own, but it was when they invoked the name of Jesus Christ that the man jumped up and was able to walk. Now that man had to respond in faith as well. He could have sat there and said, you're crazy, I've been here for 40 years, I can't get up and walk. But he chose to respond in faith. There are stories that say that it's very possible that the disciples and Jesus walked past this man at this gate day after day after day. And maybe it wasn't until this moment in time that God knew this man is ready, this man will respond in faith today. And because they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit, Peter and John did what they did because they were acting in obedience to what the Spirit was saying and doing. Because the Spirit makes impossible things possible. And where we are weak and incapable, he empowers us to do what can only happen when you and I remain connected to the vine. And without that, apart from him, we cannot do anything. No matter how excellent we are, no matter how many resources we have, no matter how many connections we have, no matter how much money we have, we will not be effective unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me and pray before we sing one last song together? Lord, we are completely and utterly dependent upon you. There are a lot of people in this room that are gifted, talented, that love you, but we recognize, God, that it is not by might or by power and our own strength, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord 
that we have been transformed. And it's by the Spirit of the Lord that we will see our communities and our neighbors and our family and friends and even our enemies transformed. So, Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to be aware of where you are all the time. Abiding with you is a process, and we have to learn how to do it. It's a discipline. Would you teach us, Lord, how to remain in the vine? Empower us this morning, God, to abide in you, but also to, to, to do what you're doing and to speak what you're speaking. And help us to be faithful in everything that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name.